You're listening to Love and War with David Harwood. This is a weekly podcast where David offers spiritual insights that are aimed to enhance your relationship with God, yourself, and others. If you are edified by what you hear, please recommend this podcast to people you love. Now, here's David. going to continue our series of reviewing some of the blog posts that I've contributed to our website over the last year and concentrate on the love of God. So we begin with Ephesians 3 verse 19 from the Tree of Life version. To know the love of the Messiah so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. The Son of God is co-eternal with the Father. He was always omniscient. And since that's so, it's impossible to try to isolate his temporally first thought or his first awareness. But I think that which was first on priority, the most important thing of which the Son was always aware, was his Father's love. The Son existed in the awareness of Father's love. In the Incarnation, the Son continued to abide in that same love. Father's love was the foundation to both the expression of God's authority through the Lord. John 3.35, John the Baptist said, The Father loves the Son and has put all things in his hands. The expression of God's authority and the communication to his beloved. John 5 verse 20, The Father loves the Son and shows him all things. We are called to be conformed to the image of the Son. Romans 8, verse 29. And that conformity is to be worked in us from the inside out. It begins on the inside. Just as Jesus' priority awareness was of his Father's love, so our first in importance awareness is to be Jesus' love for us. As we cultivate this, we begin to resemble from the inside out our Lord who abided in the Father's love and bore fruit. As we abide in Jesus' love, so shall we also bear fruit. In bearing fruit for God's pleasure and our own fulfillment, we will experience joy. After all, is bearing fruit for God's pleasure and our own fulfillment important to us? If so, we should make it our practice to abide in the love of Jesus. Let's do this with others. Encourage a friend today. First John chapter 2, verses 27 through 28. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. This isn't written down. I'm not going from the blog, but I want to just mention that. Why not? I can speak a little bit about some things that touch me. This matter of loving others, abiding in the Lord and loving others, I think that it's it's, it's so important. Abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame. I think this is so radical. I mean, who wants to be frightened of the Lord's return? If we abide in him, 
If we remain in his love, we will be doing exactly what it is that he wants. And as we are irradiated by that love, we will love others. We will bear fruit. And as we love others, our consciences are cleansed. We continue to walk in a clear conscience. And when the Lord returns, we will find that he is pleased with us. Moving on to the next blog. And this has to do with the Lord's love being everlasting. Reading Jeremiah 31, the second part of verse 3. God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Jeremiah's dread warnings and predictions of the Babylonian captivity had come to pass. Denunciation followed indictment through the heartbroken foretellings of the prophet, yet hope was extended to God's people as they experienced the consequences of adulterous rebellion. This reassurance found in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. This reassurance was written by Jeremiah to his people who were still under severe chastisement. Judah was in exile. Idolatrous sin was recompensed by a diaspora into the land believed to be the fountainhead of idolatry. They were suffering. They were humiliated. More than once, false comfort had been offered to the Jewish people by more than one false prophet. But now, God wanted to reinforce that his people had a future and a hope because he was for them. To drive this home, it took an oracle from the very prophet who described this exile. He revealed this. God never stopped loving his people, even in exile, even when in suffering and humiliation. He never stopped loving them. He would fulfill his purposes for them he would cause them to know the love he had for them. When we see God's love for the Jewish people, we see a picture of God's love for each of us. God's love is not a passing whim. It is a love which origin goes back throughout the ages. Just like God knew Jeremiah before he was created, so can we be certain that his love for us predated our existence. Let's expect the preserving hand of the Father who loves us to draw us, as it is written, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. Jeremiah 31, verse 3b. Moving on to another meditation in John 13, verse 5, we're going to be concentrating on this. God's love for you is very personal. Then, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The apostles needed an example of powerful love. Jesus met that need. He demonstrated a love so strong that it produced a willingness to strip himself of dignity and take on the lowest social status for the benefit of the group's well-being. Jesus was ministering to the entire company of apostles. Their corporate character needed to be adjusted. How did he do this? He washed their feet. 
He washed one set of feet at a time. He did not provide a pool and call them to dip their feet in all at once. He ministered to each person, one at a time. Jesus did this in a corporate setting. A group was there. He ministered to the individual in the presence of the group. The need of the entire apostolic cadre was met as he took time with each individual. I wonder what was going on in their hearts and minds as their Lord circled the room. Did they weep? Did they blush? Look at this. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Was the record of Peter's remonstration intended by John to be typical of all of their attitudes? No matter. The point I'm trying to make is that, even within a corporate setting, God's love for you is very personal. Note that if they were not together, they would have missed the deepest ministration of Jesus' serving love prior to Calvary. If they had not showed up corporately, they would not have been ministered to individually. So, expect to personally meet with the Lord as you, in the timing of God, gather with other believers to be with Jesus. The Lord will meet you there. John 13, verse 5. Jesus poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The Lord is the same today, and he has personal ministry for you. Don't be surprised if it takes place in a corporate setting. In Mark 10, verse 21a, it's written of Jesus' attitude towards the person that we call the rich young ruler. I consider him to be the wish dream of every culture. He is wealthy, he has authority, uh, he's, uh, he was young. God's love for you, like Jesus' love for that man, is based on attraction. Jesus looked at him and loved him. This describes how Jesus felt when he looked at a man who rejected the call to radical discipleship. The man embodied the values of every age and culture. He is commonly called the rich young ruler. People want to be wealthy, healthy, and powerful. He apparently had everything. One thing this man did not have was a clear conscience. He was insecure. Knowing that his relationship with the Creator was lacking, he hoped to fill that void without emptying himself. Wanting the ultimate sense of security, he refused to give up that which gave him security. In short, he was a self-defeating mess. It is written that Jesus felt the love for him and offered him the answer to his deepest need. It takes faith to take Jesus up on the offer he made eternal life. When Jesus saw him, he loved him. The Lord loved a man who had not made a commitment to him. This man was about to turn away from Jesus. If the Messiah, seeing this man, was moved to love one who had yet to make a commitment to follow in the path of life, what do you think he feels towards you? You made your choice. You were willing to surrender whatever was necessary to gain eternal life. You were willing to follow Jesus. You had more than spiritual hunger. You had more than a disciplined life. 
You had more than the fear of the Lord. Through faith, you responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and believed the gospel. Jesus looks at you and loves what he sees. He loves your trust. He highly values your heart's appreciation of his worth. He loves your response to him. He sees you. He loves you. Like this man, you attract Jesus' love. Unlike that man, you get to receive his love. The Lord loves the way you treasure his love. If you have not by faith dedicated all you are and own to the Lord, why wait? Jesus will receive your commitment and his spirit will help you follow through. We're going on to another meditation. Isaiah 62 verse 5. We find that God's love for you is passionate. The prophet said, And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Arranged marriages have worked well for millennia. However, what Isaiah prophesied is more than an arranged marriage. This wedding is the result of choices guided by love. God's marriage to Israel was never represented as a calculated business decision. It was never described as a political marriage effectuated to ensure an alliance. God's marriage was after the pattern of Jacob and Rachel's, or the Shulamite in the Song of Songs with her beloved. He says, she is the one I choose. She is the one for me. I can't wait till we're married. Let's have a party. She says, I am the one he chose. He is the one for me. I can't wait till I'm his wife. Let's celebrate. Some inquire, well, what type of love is this? Is it Eros love? Is it Storge love? Is it Philos? Most people would not believe that this is agape love. Agape is the word used to describe the love we find in the Song of Songs in the Septuagint and in Ephesians 5. In the Song of Solomon, the Hebrew word ahava is translated as agape, like in this verse. He has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love, agape in the Septuagint. The same emotion is revealed in the Messiah's love for the church in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, just as the Messiah also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This love, prophesied in Isaiah 65, expresses itself in excitement. The beloved one is so precious to the lover that the anticipation of being together explodes in joy at their wedding. God's love for Israel is real, and it also symbolizes his love for you. God will rejoice over you like a joyful, grateful, excited bridegroom. Each redeemed person sparks this love in the creator-bridegroom. You elicit his anticipation right now. You have an incredible future together with him. Our last meditation that we're going to look at is founded in John 3.16. God's love is committed to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
I suppose the most relevant word in this verse celebrating God's committed love for us is gave. When a gift is given, it is committed into the hands of the recipient. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15, Paul wrote, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What we do with this gift is, to some degree, up to us. It is always beneficial to meditate on Calvary. It is where our Father demonstrated his love. Romans 5.8 is one of my favorite Bible verses. But God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, the Messiah died for us. Because we are sincerely loved, and our Father wants us to be utterly reconciled and restored, God offers us this gift. He has given Jesus to us. The Son, who is the chief object of our Father's love, has been committed to us. The least we can do is give thanks. Let's allow the nature of this great love to saturate our hearts. Love and War is written and presented by David Harwood. Editing is by David and Sammy Avino, who is also the producer and technical advisor for the podcast. David is the pastor of Restoration Fellowship in Glencove, New York, and the author of the books God's True Love and For the Sake of the Fathers. To purchase copies of David's books, please go to loveofgodproject.org. The theme song for this podcast is Skirmish, from the album Combustion, which was written and performed by Leonard Jones. Additional episodes of Love and War can be downloaded on the Podbean app or through iTunes. For more information on Love and War, Restoration Fellowship, God's True Love, or For the Sake of the Fathers, visit us on restorationfellowshipny.com, loveofgodproject.org, book.forthesakeofthefathers.com, or you can follow us on Facebook at Restoration Fellowship NY, Love of God Project, Love and War DH, and For the Sake of the Fathers. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email David at loveandwar underscore dh at yahoo.com. As always, please remember to share Love and War and support us by leaving a positive review on iTunes and Podbean.